0: Welcome. So you're listening to uh, My Teeth Need Attention. It's been a while since the last episode. I keep feeling like I'm going to get back on track and I don't get back on track. So I apologize. I also apologize to today's guest for taking too long to get this episode out. Uh, Today's guest is Darren Gray, bass player extraordinaire, member of uh, Dazzling Killman and Grandulina multiple collaborations like the one you're hearing in the background here with Lauren Connors. So Darren was a great guest, uh, another kind of cold call on my part, uh, we never met. I've seen him live at least once, maybe a couple times, and uh, various conversations uh, before this kind of started leading in his direction. And uh, it's kind of leading me to a few other people that I'd like to talk to as well. So uh, we'll see where this goes from here. But anyway, uh, Darren was great, great guest uh, calling in from Finland. After we uh, figured out some time differences and stuff like that, we finally hooked up and had this uh, conversation. So let's get into it. Uh, so, yeah, what you're hearing in the background here is a collaboration uh, he and Lauren Connors did called The Last Mariner. It's on Family Vineyard. Uh, came out in 99, got reissued on vinyl in like 2009 or 10, something like that. I'm gonna play this for a while, then we're gonna listen to some Breeze Glace, which is a project he was in with Jim O'Rourke. Jim O'Rourke comes up in the interview multiple times, uh, so we'll listen to that. Uh, Breeze Glace also featured Tim Jones and Dylan Poza and those are two names that come up a lot too so it's a fitting uh, thing to play plus it's one of my all-time favorite records so we'll listen to this and then Breeze Glace and then we'll get an interview and then I'm going to play a smattering of other Darren Gray related things uh, afterwards let's get to it you're hearing uh, the track called Part 5 from the Lost Mariner on my teeth need attention, you can check out MyTeethNeedAttention.com and I don't, you know, rate and review us, I guess, on podcast platforms or whatever the hell that is, but whatever. Enjoy.
1: Where are you calling rochester from? new
0: york oh so yeah. that's upstate yeah it's um it's like an hour east of buffalo okay so we're yeah, like we like actually, basically right yeah right between buffalo and syracuse
1: i think i've played there before i mean i've played most all towns in the united states yeah at least once but i actually think i played there in the old days with dazzling killman actually
0: yeah I, I was trying to remember okay. if was like you you definitely played buffalo because i saw you guys in buffalo i don't know if you played rochester or not
1: maybe not but i know that i've played there i know yeah. i don't know if it was on a family vineyard tour or something i know that i've played there so i think it was a in and out you know um show and go kind of show yeah. like got in got out kind of thing you know so yeah anyway
0: yeah i saw you guys oh. playing buffalo it was one of the skin graph like package tours that you guys oh yeah um oh wow so man that's that's like uh, uh mount shasta maybe
1: yeah i remember yeah. that show yeah one yeah yeah
0: yeah it was one other group i can't remember who it was i oh.
1: think that on that tour i think the Dennis dwayne dennison i think the uh, dennis kimball trio it, was on was. that tour uh-huh. as well um yeah i remember that show actually yeah, yeah. i re- I remember that place and that show for some re- i remember most of the shows from that tour because i was it's surprising because i was doing kind of double duty on all of that oh yeah with with Brees gloss and dazzling Kilman, but uh I, re- I remember most of the shows maybe it's because i was younger it was so uh it was an intense tour for sure yeah you know?
0: yeah there was a there was a short time where that place that was mr goodbar it was a mm-hmm. place that was there. They did shows downstairs at one point. They did shows upstairs at one point where you guys were on a stage. But then when they first did them upstairs, they were on the opposite side of the room with no stage. We saw Tortoise play there. Like oh, wow. very, very early on. Like I think yeah. I think the first LP might have been out and like the next mm. record might have just came out. They played yeah. with like Uwe and Le Bradford.
1: Oh wow, geez!
0: Little joint, <laughs> no stage.
1: Great show, man. I not I, a lot I, I of people really
0: knew that. any of those names yet. um Yeah, it was insane.
1: I really, really loved those. uh I don't remember what the, the if they were the first two Le Bradfords, but those first few Le Bradford's. I think they were on Cranky. I think yeah, back yeah. in the day. I, those, man, I love those records. Those were really great. And, and yeah, like a weird side note is I actually ended up with Le Bradford's. I've never met them. I don't, I actually not even know who's in that thing, but like I, I ended up with their Farfisa. It, it's, at my, it's at my house, it's at my house outside of St. Louis, which is super funny. I had no idea through O'Rourke, but like, yeah, yeah. I have no idea how that weird note, but I love that band. That's I wish I could have seen them live during that period because I'm sure it was awesome
0: yeah uh yeah my buddy rob met them on a road trip uh down in they were from like richmond virginia i think oh and uh yeah their first record is the first cranky release too it's cranky One. Oh, is it really is that, that that great it's, one or uh, precision it's like green it's a it's a really kind of bad cover
1: <laughs> yeah it's almost oh, like the colors hot. like like it's almost blurry in a um not necessarily great way yeah, there, yeah. Well, they,
0: they reissued it on vinyl and they did like a photo version of because it's a micrometer yeah yeah uh, yeah. like it's an illustration of a micrometer and i'm not sure if it's supposed to look goofy and bad or not
1: <laughs> but, maybe
0: but then they reissued it on vinyl and they did like a photo version of it uh which i think was cool too but yeah they um that's the only, that's the band I knew playing that show. I'm like, oh, we got to go out to Buffalo to see Le Bradford. I'm like, there's mm. some band called UI playing.
2: <laughs> yeah.
0: And, yeah. um, and then my buddy Nuge is like, oh, tortoise. He's like, that's mosquito. And they just changed your name. And, um, yeah, he's like, I think it's like slint related. So we all went out and we were like, of course, blown yeah, away. Of course. Was, yeah, of course. Yeah. That like early was. stuff was. Yeah really awesome man and talk about yeah talk about a power packed lineup and just a crappy bar
1: <laughs> yeah man well that was the early 90s you know yeah, yeah. i mean that's the way the early 90s were old you know i mean those those uh those venues were abysmal you know yeah. i mean they were just absolutely <laughs> horrific you know in every that way place,
0: like i said that place that place only did shows i mean it was a bar for a long time but it only really did shows for about a year
1: yeah, that's kind of the MO. Shoot. You almost have to you gotta get in quick. Yeah. And uh, before they tire of all the weirdos being in there and, you know, destroying yeah. the bathroom, you know. Yeah. And the bar the
0: bars get uh I think they get tired of booking agents and booking people and for sure. You know, oh, you didn't draw yeah. enough, you know, so then you know, the booking person gets fired and then all their contacts go away and we've had that issue here in town too, but anyway, um, Yeah. So, yeah, so okay. the podcast, I don't know if you've heard any of it yet or not. No, I haven't.
1: I'm sorry. No. I don't know.
0: I've done. Yeah, that's fine. Uh, I've done, like, uh, I don't know. This is probably episode 12 or 13 or 14. Okay. I just interviewed David Grubbs uh, a week or so nice. ago. Um, uh, and I've been doing, like, uh, a lot, of, like, up until I did Chris Brokaw not that long ago. Oh, great. That was the first person I interviewed uh, that I didn't know personally. Uh, yeah. So I was very nervous. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Because most of the people are like people I've met or had some kind of personal uh, connection with. And uh, so I've been trying to reach out to people that I don't know, but hopefully are cool with it. So thanks for agreeing. to. Oh, my pleasure, man. I'm
1: super excited to dig in. Um,
0: So yeah, so uh, I keep it pretty loose. I'll go over basically, you know, kind of where you grew up, how you got into music, blah, blah, blah. Various projects. um, And you can decide if you don't want to talk about certain things or not. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I usually do a quick edit afterwards. I'll do a quick edit and send you a link. Uh, so you can listen to it if you then decide, Oh, there's something, you know, okay. Take that out, take this out or sure. for whatever reason, okay. you know, awesome. be like, you talk about something that you don't want to talk about yet or, Great. you know, you don't like how it sounds or something. Yeah, man. I understand. And, yeah. and then I usually add music, uh, before and afterwards in the interview for the final podcast. Uh, and you can suggest tracks. Um, yeah, you- I don't. I
1: don't necessarily need to suggest a bunch. But one thing I was wondering is, like, I could send you a good link to, uh, or, or a good, like, you know, I'll I'll have them send you. I have a re- more recent solo upright bass record that came out last July or something. Like oh, maybe okay. I'll, i could, you know, I could send you that to put in there a little bit. You know, something a little,
0: yeah, more is that fresh. Not
1: it's out. It came out last July. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah. And um, I have, uh, I mean, you know, like it, it seems like every release that came out in the last three years is, has a one-week uh, one shelf life and is a <laughs> bit of a secret. <laughs> yeah. What record, what record is that? Um, it's called um, The Reduction. And it was on LP, and it's on, it's on Bandcamp, too. Ongoing Box is the guy's Bandcamp, David Bernabeau. Awesome freaking guy. Awesome musician and awesome human being. Um, okay, and then, yeah. and then I, ha- I have like a few, a couple other. I, I have a recent one, a semi-recent, just a couple years old with uh, Eiko Ishibashi. Yeah, uh, I love that and you yeah. could intersperse some. Of, I, you know, I love that record, and we could yep. intersperse some of that in there. I, I would love to do that because I love her, and I, yeah, you know, yeah. she's awesome. And we've had that duo for like maybe fifteen years now. So,
0: oh wow, uh, okay,
1: yeah, a long time, yeah, since two thousand. Well, actually, since two thousand eight. So pretty close to that, yeah, fifteen, oh. yeah. Nice. And then I've got another recent one from Pak Young Lao that is uh, a pianist and a toy pianist among other things here uh, in Europe, uh, in, in Belgium. Awesome, super awesome musician. And that would be another one. But otherwise, I don't really care, man. Dazzling can we come in one in there. I don't really care.
2: Okay.
1: I'm super fortunate that like, you know, it's not like I'm like high-fiving the air over anything that I've done necessarily, but at the same time, I've only done things that I sort of believed in, at least at the moment. I've never, I've never done anything that uh, I didn't necessarily want to do so i don't really mind anything being played necessarily okay. you know um it's all I'm, I'm i'm kind of i mean i'm kind of okay with all of it because i kind of have to be in a weird yeah. way so cool um okay i'm ready all right i'll just do a quick
0: uh, intro and then we can get right into yeah. it um uh today's guest is uh, darren gray i want to thank darren for being on the uh podcast the podcast is called my teeth need attention uh for those or darren who don't know what that reference is it's actually a lyric from a dead sea uh song called power uh, it's one of my favorite uh, tracks, and it's one of my favorite bands too. So, um, thanks and welcome to the podcast. From thanks Finland, for having me. Right? Yeah, yeah. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Um, so, I, I kind of I usually start things off with uh, kind of finding out where you grew up. So, you grew up, I think, in the St. Louis area. If I'm not. Mistaken. I
1: did. I I grew up on the um, east side of the Mississippi River um, from St. Louis. I, I grew up about maybe a half hour, 40 minutes drive from, from St. Louis. So like St. Okay. Louis is the reference point for any, you know, work as a musician that I've done for the most part, uh, okay. cause it was so close, but I never lived there. I always lived on the east side of, uh, of St. Louis. So. Okay. um, yeah, I lived there my whole life until I was 53 years old. So yeah. Oh,
0: Oh I, I, I always assumed you moved to Chicago at some point. I
1: never ever moved. I lived there my whole life in that same little like five mile radius area. Uh, and for the most part for the last you know really long while, 25 years or so, I lived in Eversville, Illinois. And when people see that they just I think usually and probably rightly so, just assume that it's a suburb of um, a, a suburb of Chicago, but it's yeah. actually more of a suburb of, of it's a small town outside of St. Louis, right. Okay.
0: Um, where, did you uh, start playing music in school? Like, is that when you picked up the bass or?
1: No, I started very young as a, a very young, like maybe some of my earliest memories are of playing music and, and making music. My mom, uh, we had a piano in the house. My mom played piano. My mom was a really really great pianist and she, she could play. And I remember, you know, some of my earliest memories are of, uh, you know, watching her play and listening to her play and kind of like peeking in from the other room of her playing through, uh, playing through music. And she was a really good, um, I mean, she's, she's still alive. I don't want to speak of her in the past <laughs> tense, so, you know, I don't please, but, but uh, back then she was a really great kind of like boogie woogie pianist and a stride piano and things like that. And, so I, and ragtime things, uh, and I was really always like super fascinated. She seemed heroic to me when I was little, you know, doing, just being able to play. So I started really young, man, like, you know, maybe taking piano lessons at age five or six, um,
0: from her or yeah. from, uh, other teachers or
1: from another teacher. Yeah. It's like, I think it's one of those things, like, it's pretty rough to take from your parent, you know, I don't know. Uh, I don't know why that is. I think it's kind of silly actually, but, uh. But no, I, t- I took from this, uh, you know, old lady in the town, Mrs. Ayers, from from, uh, from the town that I lived in. And uh, I did that for a long time. And I mean, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed more like, you know, I, I mean, writing little songs or writing riffs or things like that. Or, you know, I, it's hard pressed to call it composing. But um, at an early age, like the, the piano was in you know, the room with the TV. So I remember even like turning the um, sound down on cartoons and trying to like make us, you know, I didn't know that I was trying to make a soundtrack. I mean, I had no, I wasn't a cool kid by far. I was not a cool kid. I mean, so far really, I was not a cool kid, but I remember like just trying to like make soundtrack. I always loved like cartoon music a lot when I was a little kid you know later of course learning it was like Raymond Scott and Carl Stalling and you know right. Tex Avery and all those guys i loved that stuff when i was a kid and that's pretty much i think one of the reasons i loved it so much is because it's really all i had access to it's it's kind of was like the weird music i had access to at a very very young age and it was also my uh, access to classical music and things like that so anyway you know, I started really young and I would try to do like soundtracks to cartoons and things like that, just making sounds, whatever, you know, I would, of course I would try to imitate my mom playing like, you know, boogie woogie and blues and that kind of thing. I, I was never a good pianist, nor am I one now. Uh, I, it, it was, it was an instrument that we had in the house and that like, I didn't ever fully connect with it.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And um very early on, I was in bands like starting at like I don't really know. I don't even think I was twelve yet. I think I, I was younger than that when I was in like punk bands in the really? wow yeah like maybe for sure at least by 1980 uh, I was in um, I, I, I sang in punk in a punk band uh, very early on and and um, and then that kind of because I played piano I was encouraged by people to play synthesizers. So I started playing like, you know, I didn't know that I was playing like synths or that I was a synth player. In fact, I think I just called them keyboards. I don't, yeah. yeah. You know what I mean? It was like, oh, I played keyboards. Uh, but I did that in bands, you know, n- n- nothing of note, nothing of like, you know, just kids stuff, you know, just like kids things. But, but we did write all our own music. So like we did make up our own stuff, even at that early age. Um, that was something I was always drawn towards uh for better or worse was just doing my own thing um and you know i had early you know some cool synthesizers you know i had like a i didn't know in fact i was just remembering i I was just remembering um yesterday that i had like a ARP 2600 like a really cool synthesizer yeah but i was just a little i was just a little you know i probably got that for nothing i mean probably like for a hundred dollars i don't even know probably not even a hundred dollars well yeah back
0: then then they were out of style
1: they were garbage yeah yeah. and and so i remember having that but i had like zero idea of what i mean what it even was it just thought it was like a spaceship (laughs) and and then i was super young man i was like 12 or 13 or something i remember the guy talked me into trading it in for a cord poly 61 which was like Not as cool. It's actually kind of a cool synthesizer for an 80 synthesizer, but it's not an ARP 2600. I I still have that poly 61, funny enough, but so I did that early on. And then, and then it was kind of one of those deals where someone had left, you know, my, my relationship to the bass started really, really young and uh, someone had left an acoustic guitar at my house. Um, most of those bands I'm talking about would practice at my house because my parents were just so awesome. They didn't, they didn't care. I mean, they, they just let us do our thing and it was, it was really great. And, um, so someone left an acoustic guitar there and it was missing like the top, the top high strings, the B and the E. So I just kind of was like messing around on that. And I remember somebody saying like, well, hey, you should just play bass because that's what a bass is. And I remember thinking like, You know, I was probably already like a teenager, you know, and I had no idea. I was like, oh, and I was kind of like, what's a, what? Okay. (laughs) okay. And then I would just, and then someone brought a bass over and then it was just, it was really like an absolutely immediate thing. I I started playing it immediately and I, I pretty much haven't put it down since.
0: As like young kids, what were you guys exposed to where you're, you know, 10, 11, 12 and you're like, oh, we can start a band.
1: Like, yeah you know,
0: so so in that town and yeah like, definitely so and stuff?
1: yeah uh, for sure they're, yeah. they're all, all all of that like you know okay. st louis was a huge punk town for sure and um this little town that i was born in called alton illinois had for whatever reason all kinds of bands and i at that time raced bmx bikes and so like i was kind of involved you know kind of like skate culture uh maybe not to the extent of like skate skating culture but bmx culture at that time was definitely an outlier sport yeah. and like yeah, i raised a couple
0: of years in middle school yeah
1: too. weirdos <laughs> did it and you know it was it was uh so that that the music kind of like you know somebody's boom box might have this something like that you know mm-hmm. uh And that's kind of how I got exposed to that deeply, but, you know, just friends would have this friends, friends, older brother might have this record, that kind of thing, you know? Um, But there was, there was definitely a scene and I was going to shows in St. Louis, um, you know, all kinds of different shows, you know, Um, everything from like Philip Glass to the clash to early you know early bad brains to dead kennedys to whatever i mean you know just everyone came through st louis at that time right right and and there were tons of all ages shows and the shows that weren't all ages no one cared i mean no no (laughs) one cared i got into every show i wanted to get into and I, i went to hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of shows. Every show that I could, I went to. Also in St. Louis area, there was a record store called Vintage Vinyl, which I uh, down the road worked at. But back then, you know, early 80s and also, you know, Euclid Records. There were a ton of great record stores in St. Louis and the people that worked at these record stores, they knew everything. They knew everything about everything. And You would buy a record and they would make fun of you for buying that record and then they would tell you to buy this record instead, you know,
2: Um,
1: that that kind of thing, you know? And so I had like very, 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 very early exposure to deep, deep, deep music. And, you know, eventually even in my teen years, that's how I would get into jazz and free jazz and, um, even free improvisation and like modern classical music. And, you know, these guys, when I would go into these record stores, when I was a kid, they would see the stuff I was buying and they would be like, Oh, well, you know, you should check this out you should check out Ornette Coleman, shape of jazz to come or like whatever, you know, don't, don't buy this, buy that kind of thing. And, you know, I, they were sort of being like, it, it's a pretty jerk move to like, tell somebody not to buy something they want to buy but at the same time, I'm sort of grateful for it because I do think that they were trying to, um, you know, expose me to, to, uh, great music. And, you know, a lot of these, the older guys that worked at these record stores when I was young, they, uh, they were very, very well-versed in blues and jazz and all of the stuff. And they, you know, they, they really, um, they really, uh flipped my head around, you know, them and a lot of other people. But at a very young age, that's kind of what was going on. All of that was happening all, all at once, you know. Yeah. Record stores
0: is that weird balance of like, you know, a guy working at a record store is kind of a know-it-all, but also, you know, trying to educate, sort of, you know, like.
1: Back then, at least, I don't know what they do yeah. now, or even there are hardly any record stores now, but I, but I know yeah, back I know. then that yeah. was the case. And I was certainly that way when I worked at a record store as well. I was definitely like that. Right, right.
0: Uh, yeah, I have. I mean, we have a we have a fair share of un- independent record stores still here in town. Oh um, wow! I think more, and, and I think you know, the last couple of years, I've seen. I know Buffalo's gotten a couple new show um, shops too. Um, it's pretty interesting that they're surviving <laughs> and growing. You know, wow. um, and I, you know, I got a good friend who runs a local shop in town, and he's always turning me on the stuff. You know. Um, so that still happens. There's, the bigger shops though, you know, get so big that yeah, yeah, you don't get a personal connection with people no, no, you no know no.
1: somebody, but, you know, um, and those early years for me, like just how that kind of happened too, is that I didn't have, I had super, super encouraging parents, you know, they, they were yeah. really, really encouraging of, uh, you know, helping me be me. And, and helping me move into me and they didn't discourage any of this like activity or this musical activity at all like mm-hmm. not at all and in fact they only kind of encouraged it I'm sure they hated the, I mean come on the music you know I'm sure they were just like whatever right but at the same time they were always really really encouraging and you know that helped me move into me mm-hmm. yeah you know?
0: You talked about going to see Philip Glass. Was that something that your parents were into and you went with? Them no, with them?
1: no, I had I had an early friend. Uh, an, an early friend when I before I was driving, um, so it would have been early 80s um, named Pete O'Brien. And for I don't know the origins of this because we lost contact when we were young teens, but he was really into like the big minimalist composers. And I don't know why, like when we were like 14 or 15 years old, I remember, I specifically remember him having like a, like an actual teen dance party to Einstein on the beach when we were, uh, when we were little kids, just super weirdos, you know, <laughs> it's like you're insiders, you're isolated. I mean, there's something sometimes beautiful about being isolated yeah. in that yeah. you don't necessarily know, uh, in quotation marks, what's cool or not. It's just, you just, you just kind of like, oh, this is cool. Let's have a dance party to this or something, you know, let's have fun to this record. Uh, you, we didn't probably know that you didn't do that to that record. We didn't know that you might, you're supposed to scratch your chin to that record and not dance to that record. You know what I mean? It's like, we didn't have any idea. It's all kind of out of ignorance in a way, yeah. just being that that isolated. But he was really into like Philip Glass and, and, and Steve Reich and like um, Terry Riley, like all of that kind of like big stuff. And I have no idea, I don't have any idea how, you know, but you, you know, I don't know how old you are, but I don't know if you remember, like, you know, there was a time where you would just go to like the end section of a record store and where they didn't know where to, <laughs> yeah. I don't know where to put this. So yeah, put yeah, it yeah. Here. And, I was in a could, store
0: yesterday and the electronic section is <clears throat> not electronic stuff.
1: Yeah, like Which one year. Like, I don't know. Show I don't know show what this yeah. stuff is yeah, it's going yeah. over here. Um, so I would always—that's the first place I would head when I was a kid. So you know, you—you know—you might buy a Ramones record and a Philip Glass record on the same day just because they might have been in the same bin and the cover was cool. You know, um, you don't know what's going on. You have no yeah, idea yeah. what's happening. Yeah, you know, yeah. there's something beautiful in that for sure. <laughs> And, and that's some and something that you definitely can't do now that records are twenty five thirty dollars. You're not going to like take a chance on a record with a cool cover. Who cares? Right. <laughs> Dude, you know, I'm not at these. Least... Yeah, yeah. The pricing is rough. Mm-hmm.
2: Uh,
0: so you, uh, so you playing in some. I mean, starting young. That's really crazy. Like uh, playing in bands. When, um, what was like the first kind of bigger band that you played in? Where you started playing shows and maybe playing out of town a little bit. Was it, I mean, was it Dazzling Kilman or was it before? I did
1: some of that with the earlier things I was doing as a team, but really in my, you know, like that's just kid stuff. And for me, the first thing that I did was Dazzling Kilman. And that was, that started a little bit earlier than uh, what people think, but it started probably about 88 with just me and Nick. So that was kind of like the first thing that, um, I did. That was like the first real band. So I was, I was basically 20. I was 20 years old. And how'd
0: you, how'd you, how'd you guys all meet?
1: I'd known Nick. I, yeah, I'd known Nick for a a very long time and he lived very near me on the East side. He was an East sider as well. And um, like very near, like maybe two miles from my house. Um, So we, he's uh, older than me, maybe four years older than me. So you know, we didn't grow up together. We met each other as young men, but, uh, it was pretty instant connection and instant deep connection. And we would get together and listen to records for, I mean, I don't even know hours and hours and hours and hours. And when Nick was 25, which I still think is worth talking about. And it's just an incredible thing. He decided he was going to play music. He'd never played music before. I think he played some trumpet, In fifth grade or something like that. Right. But he'd never played the guitar. He'd never played an instrument. And when he was 25, he asked me to kind of like show him some, what I knew at that time on the guitar. And I, I, I've been teaching music. I I teach bass and upright bass and guitar and piano and drums and percussion and all that stuff, theory. And I've been doing that since I was a late teenager. So I've been, he knew that I did that and he asked me to help him. And I kind of showed him, I didn't know much, but I showed him kind of the stuff I knew. And it was just probably a week later, we were like, we started Dazzling Killman. So he learned how to play music and play the guitar being in that band. Like, which is, I don't know anyone who has a story like that. That's an incredible thing. You know, it's like, I don't, I don't know how he did that. I have no idea. And so like, when you saw us, at that show, he'd just been playing guitar for like four years or something. <laughs> or,
0: you know what I mean? It's like
1: he and, and I'm not saying he's some like virtuoso guitarist. Yeah, but, but I, will, I would
0: never have thought that he was no, only playing for a few years. Yeah. yeah. And,
1: and but what I will say about him is he's a great communicator. And that's what is important. He is a great communicator. And he actually clued in very quickly uh, and had a unique way of using the guitar to frame and punctuate his lyrics and his way of singing, and that's amazing to me. To this day, I think it's one of the reasons that band lasted. Yeah, I do. Yeah, we got
0: to go. You know, my, my buddy Nuj, whom I've been in bands with for years, uh, got to know him online, and we set up a show and played together with uh, Zadix.
1: Oh, um, nice! Awesome! Oh, yeah! yeah great!
0: And, awesome! Because I think him and his wife have some corgis, and my buddy Newt is
1: corgi, so they—that's mm. how they bonded over their dogs. <laughs> Yeah, um, that's, that's so what happens when and, you get older, yeah, you bond over out. your dogs instead of your awesome band, you <laughs> bond over your dogs. Yeah. Um, um, and, then, and then from there, like I had met uh, Blake Fleming, incredible drummer. I, I met him. Um, he's five years younger than me. So, you know, there's like a 10 year or more age gap between Nick oh, wow. and him. So, so Blake was in. He may have not even been in high school. I know he wasn't driving a car. And I was 20 and Nick was 25. And we used to, I, I met him, I was in a like community big band, like a big band that played like Count Basie and uh, whatever, Duke Ellington and Stan Kenton and the, these types of things.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And that that big band played at Blake's high school. And Blake was the drummer and their, the, the high school, I can't remember if it was a combo mm-hmm. or the their, their big band opened. And I was just like, it was immediate and I was completely blown away. And I, I talked to him afterwards, you know, and, um, exchange numbers. And then I called Nick that night and I said, yeah, man, I think I found the guy. I think I, yeah. Just and then from there just like all kinds of weird you know just like a 25 year old man having a meeting with somebody's parents to in- ensure them that their his intentions are pure and good and we're just trying to make some music and you know and on and on and on and Blake's parents were really cool and like you know they they were super supportive of him I'm sure they were scared to death it, we're we're assuring them that everything's fine and then we you know, named the band Dazzling Killman And like, you know, I, I, I can't imagine what those four people were thinking, but, but in, the, in, you know, to their credit, they supported it. And, you know, Blake uh, would be picked up by Nick and I and like the murder van and driven to practice. And, you know, and we, we did that band as a trio for a really long, maybe a couple of years, maybe I, I think. And then uh, Blake and I were, um, uh, went to university together. I went to university later. So oh, we okay. went to university together and we were both jazz performance majors. So we met Blake, knew Tim, Tim Garrigan uh, and and Blake are the same age. So they kind of like knew each other, hung out with each other a little bit. And, and Blake brought Tim in, uh, thankfully. And, uh, you know, I guess, you know, the rest is. So you, you guys were so. a
0: three piece for a little bit. And then, and then Tim first record were a
1: three piece on dig out the switch, even those early seven. Yeah. Yeah. On the early seven inches, even were a three piece, but you know, and it's like, I, I, I stand behind that music, you know, I was a young person and it it is what it is. But, but for me, for me, that band became that band when Tim Garrigan joined that band, you know, that that's when it kind of like turned into something else that that's me when it became something that, something unique and something that n- no one else was doing at that, at yeah. least at that time, no one. So it, it, it became this whole other thing when he joined and uh, I'm super thankful for that. You know, yeah, I remember
0: like- playing, I remember playing that for some friends who were, you know, they were into metal and, um, not noisy, mainly metal and stuff. Yeah. Um, and I would play it for them and they would try to fit it. They would try to be like, oh, they sound like this. And I'm like, not really. No, like they would try to yeah. out you know, I mean? you, you, we all do this. You know, when you hear something new, you try yeah. to like relate it to something, you yeah. know, right. Yeah. And.
1: When you're, we're, you know, we're trying to cling. We're like clinging to something we know. We're trying yeah, to just like, I don't yeah. know,
0: yeah. And, you know, and if and if that knowledge base is small, then your comparisons usually could be way off, right? Because <laughs> you're exactly. you're trying to fit into exactly. a very small number of things. Um, For sure. And they would do that. I'm like, oh no, these guys don't sound like that at all. Um, yeah. You were very unique. I mean, because I was in the, you know, math rock at the time, but you guys were doing this weird, like, I don't know. It was math, but it was Sort of metal sounding, um, mm. you know, and the vocals were just so different. Uh, um, so different, yeah, yeah. His vocal, I mean, that's that's the thing that I think really and you were playing. Up. Were you playing fretless bass? No, but everybody you know, thinks it, that. It, no, it, it I, it sounds fretless, you know. You, you got this, I don't know
1: what it is.
2: Oh, <laughs> yeah, way of playing, yeah
1: you know? I, it's a fretted bass, actually. Yeah, 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 yeah. So even that sounded a little bit different, you know, right? Um, yeah. Yeah, no, it's uh, and, and I think when when Tim joined, that's when everything just started like really coming together. Tim and I lived together when we were all kind of putting that uh, face of collapse record together. We all lived, uh, Tim and I lived together. So, um, were you in school at that really, point? i uh, still in school. Yeah, we were okay. all still in school. And um, where, where? Yeah, where'd you go to school? In a little town called Edwardsville, Illinois. So we all oh, went okay. to Southern Illinois University of Edwardsville. Oh, the three of right. us did. And uh, that's the town that I, I'm from. I, I live, well, I still sort of kind of live there, not anymore, but kind of. Uh, um, but yeah, we all went there, kind of like for me, an ill fated experience, a bit, but at the same time, you know, it allowed me access to so much information and so many great musicians and, and also you know, Tim and Blake and I had like a room, you know, we would, we had our own jazz comp, you know, and in addition to Dazzling Kilman, we had kind of like a instrumental and jazz combo and we were able to work out all these other ideas in these other areas. And we would bring so much of that stuff into, um, into Dazzling Kilman. you know, uh, at the time. So it was really, really helpful to be attached to our instruments that much. Um, in, in addition to the like, very, 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 very extreme and disciplined practicing of, of Dazzling Kilman. You know, that was the whole other thing for sure.
0: Yeah. I can't, yeah. How, how often did you guys practice?
1: Well, many, many times a week and, and, and for really, really long periods of time, you know, six hour practices, you know, six hours, eight hours, sometimes, um, never less than a four or five hours never. I mean, uh, so just long, 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 brutal and grueling practices. Uh, um, I mean, to me, that's what made that music. You know, the, uh, that that spending time on it and um, the process of trial and error, and like failing and then fixing and and pushing and pulling and stretching and condensing and like those are those are the things that like made that music sound like that music more than an external influence of course we had thousands of external influences we all loved music so much of course but but more than that it was more about like the actual practice room like that to me that band sounds a lot like that practice room when i hear that music i i feel that practice room for sure that's awesome and a Midwestern work ethic. You know what I mean? It's like, yeah, yeah, I, you're yeah. not, it, it's, it's, there's so many bands from the Midwest that have that, but, you know, um, it's, uh, it was a common thing then, you know, it's like that, that was something that all the Midwestern bands would wear like a badge, you know, we may not be the coolest or the whatever, but we will outwork you there's no way they're going to outwork us, you know, for better or worse. It's not going to yeah. happen. And,
0: yeah. I mean, at the time, uh, uh, just a lot of Chicago bands were coming through town. Uh, Rochester kind of got on the map as far as like a good place to play. Yeah. Well, the Bug Jar, which is still around. Um, and I, and that's definitely one thing, man. You never saw a, a sloppy band come from the no. Chicago and Midwest area. They were no, no, always no, no. super tight. Uh, yeah. Not clinical, but tight. <laughs> tight.
1: They 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 played with intent and intention, yeah, and they yeah. what what you heard is what they wanted you to hear, mm. which I appreciate <laughs> and uh, and still enjoy to this day yeah. for sure.
0: How did you hook up with the various Chicago? So I always assumed you moved to Chicago because you started playing oh, with man. all these Chicago guys. How how did that connection happen? I mean, it's not far away, and I'm sure you're crisscrossing paths and stuff when you're playing shows
1: for sure. So I mean,
0: like O'Rourke and Tim Jones and stuff like that.
1: Yeah. So it happened um, two ways. It happened because at the time, Mark Fisher and Rob Sires, who was also part of SkinGraph then, um, they worked at Touch and Go and they lived in Chicago. And I think both of them were students at the Art Institute of Chicago, I think. Okay. Anyway, so like they're from where we, they're from St. Louis. Oh. So we knew them from St. Louis and we were, you know, we started working with them when with, We were in St. Louis and they were in St. Louis. So when they went to Chicago, it didn't like blow the doors open to Chicago for us, but it definitely opened the doors uh, to Chicago and playing shows. And it was pretty quick that we started Dazzling Coleman started playing lounge acts and mainly just frankly just lounge acts because it was so awesome that that's where the only place we wanted to play. And that's kind of what we did. But we played there a lot. And uh, that kind of like opened a lot of doors, you know, once people heard us, it was like, oh, we're opening for this band, open for that band. For a while, we came, became kind of like the pet of like the popular band we would open for, you know, but by open, I mean like do little tourings with, uh, you know, the Jesus Lizard or Fugazi or, or what, whoever, you know, whatever it was, we played multiple days with these bands, you know, once they heard us, they kind of, a lot of these bands took us under their wing, especially the Jesus Lizard. But anyway, that that was that was like number one. So that opened up Chicago massively. It's only a four and a half hour drive, mm-hmm. but what really blew it wide open for me personally was uh, Jim O'Rourke opened for Dazzling Kilman at Lounge Axe. and that was probably 1992. I'm guessing, it, it, maybe even earlier, but 92. Yeah, nine. Oh, maybe almost 93, but 90, probably 92. I don't really know. And anyway. Another one of those sort of like instant connections for me. I was blown away. Um, He was, he was doing things that I was doing on my own, that I was like uh, doing with Blake and Tim and improvising and free improvisation. These things that I'd been into for a very long time, except he was like, not only so far much further down the road, he was like in a different universe with it than me. You know, he, he, he was already like taking it to its conclusion yeah. You know, and I, and I was still trying to figure things out from for years of trying, you know, um, was he so it was
0: guitar for that show or he was doing prepared guitar
1: for that yeah, show. Okay. Yeah. And um, and I, I had been doing prepared bass stuff. And, um, and again, like, you know, my version of that was just like a chimpanzee throwing screwdrivers at my base compared to his thing. You know, he had this whole thing developed and it was just like mind blowing for me.
2: Mm-hmm. So
1: anyway, we kind of exchanged numbers and we became pretty close friends pretty much immediately, like really immediately. And, and we decided we pretty much formed Brees Gloss pretty much immediately then. And I, once um, I, I I went up, once I went up kind of like not as a kill man, but just as me to kind of do stuff with Jim, I, I started seeing like this whole other world up there and like all of these people making all of this music and like, you know, from and it wasn't all the same. That was the other thing that I really loved about that, because you know, I've always been a person, like, I don't want to be, you know, no offense to anyone, but I don't want to be in your scene. I, I don't want, I don't want to be in your scene. I, I don't want, I don't want to be tied down like that. Yeah. Um, I, I, let's hang out, you know, Let, let's, let's hang out. I'll come for a, a nice picnic or come for a visit. We'll have a nice time, but like, I don't want to be in a scene. So like, I was really excited because all of these like improvisers and, um, noise musicians and you know jazz musicians and free jazz musicians and even world musicians for lack of a better word and classical musicians like all of these people were kind of like playing shows together and like maybe doing separate things, but playing shows at the, the same bill. And to me, that was super exciting. And it really reminded me a lot of my early punk rock and hardcore days where it was like, none of the bands sounded the same in the eighties. Like it was just like, you didn't know what you were going to get. You get a new wave band and you get right. a, a poet and a punk band, and a heart. It didn't matter as long as it was sort of a weird. No one cared. Yeah. Um, so once I saw that, I, went pretty all in. And I I would just make that drive as much as possible. And I would go, I would drive after work many times. So I would work, I was going to school and I was raising a kid and I was um, working. And then I would drive up after work and play, play an improvised show and then drive back and go to do it all over the next morning with no sleep. And I, I did that man, like I don't know, hundreds of times. Yeah, Just yeah. I made that sort of like sleep sacrifice and financial sacrifice hundreds and hundreds of times. And frankly, there was a lot of cool stuff going on in St. Louis, too. It wasn't that there wasn't anything going on in St. Louis. Quite the yeah. contrary. There was a lot of awesome stuff going on in St. Louis. But that Chicago thing really spoke to me at the time. And, and especially Jim, um, that, that's how I met, you know, really Yeah, everyone and I just and I and I kept going up and going up and going up and going up and I don't know that I really got anywhere to be perfectly honest like I never really became part of that scene necessarily a lot of people assume I'm from Chicago but like I never really became part of that I know most everyone from my generation and a few generations forward and backward from there I know pretty much everybody up there but um I think that distance just kept me apart from it, you know, for the most part. But I did play with everyone, you know. Um, early, you know, early influences on me would have been some. Well, Jim O'Rourke, number one for sure, um, period. But but from there, people even like people like Dan Burke from Illusion of Safety. So, oh, Dan, yeah. you know, Jim had played with in Illusion of Safety, and like, yep. you know, a lot of Chicago musicians or went through that group. And Dan was a very very early like, you know supporter you know like and, and by supporter I just mean like he was encouraging to me like you know yeah. I again these guys were like doing things that I was kind of doing wanted to do what had a super big f- familiarity with but like I, I was kind of the odd guy out and I I was just they they were like open arm kind of like really willing to let me kind of like honestly kind of fail pretty harsh with them kind of fail hard and and they were willing to kind of keep giving me chances which is incredible um you know early people like uh gene coleman was someone from the classical field he who i still keep somewhat in contact with and you know he just blew my mind he was playing Legetti pieces and chelsea pieces and like he it was just you know all of this was kind of happening up there um, kevin drum was up there at the time and an early friend of mine as well and um so 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 many more and then like ken vandermark had just moved there and so like seeing ken early on was like super super mind-blowing and for me like ken ken and i are roughly the same age i think he's a little bit uh, just a slight bit older than me but we're roughly the same age but i love the like intensity and ferociousness that he brought to like everything he did you know like at that point everything he did was just ferocious and I loved it I loved it Get yeah, back to that uh, work
0: ethic too it was not like non-stop okay. yeah
1: non-stop. non-stop man and I related to that I totally like I saw yeah. like oh yeah I know I, I know what to do with this model I like this this the structure that he's working in, like, I get this, I, I understand this. I, I'm not saying I understood his music, but the structure that he created for it, I totally understood. Yeah. And then early things like... Um, well, you know, it, once you got a hold of Ken, well, then everything really started to open up. And I was already into like European improvisers and like the FMP stuff and the Incas yeah, yeah. thing. And all of, I was way into that because I worked at a record store, frankly, and, and, I, and I was the buyer for the record store. So it was like, <laughs> frankly, I just bought whatever I wanted to hear. And I then I listened to it, um, which was awesome. Um, so all of that stuff was kind of colliding and happening simultaneously. I was still in Dazzling Killman. I was doing, and, and, you know, I was working with Jim O'Rourke and, and he was opening, he would be like, Oh, you should play with this guy. You should play with this guy. Oh, you should meet him. You should meet her. You should do this. You know, um, really just super open and opening the doors for me in a way that I'm forever grateful. Jim and I are still very, very close friends today to this day. We talk all the time and um that but but really like that is the turning point not only for just chicago but like that i was doing this and then i met jim o'rourke and yeah. it gave me again sort of like what i was saying about my parents it gave me license to be me uh and step all the way into who i who i thought i was and who i wanted to become it, it really allowed me to just go all the way into that because really at the time and even now it's like you know people know that I've worked with Jim uh extensively and it's like that opens a door that I just don't know that it would be open otherwise sometimes I really don't you know at least at least it'll get me to talk to somebody and I'm and I'm just so grateful for that it was just some weird chance meeting you know just some just some weird chance meeting and then and then you mentioned Tim Jones so like um Jim had known t- Tim Jones for a long time, and uh, they were in Illusion of Safety together at some point together. Oh, right. And I forgot then,
0: I played in Illusion of Safety. Yeah. Too, yeah. And,
1: and then and Tim and Dan were actually roommates for a long time. And then he brought Tim in and then Dylan Poza, another awesome guitarist, he brought him in. And then from there, you know, we made that record and did some tours. And
0: Yeah. So how active was Breeze Glace? Like from the outside, I always viewed that yeah. as like a, an O'Rourke project – that all you guys recorded a lot of stuff, and then he kind of taped it all together, right?
1: Yeah, uh, I mean, that, uh, that's essentially what it was. How, how active were you guys? Like, were you rehearsing a lot? Were you playing out a lot? We never rehear—we never did rehearsals, but we did play out, for sure. Okay. And, um, and we did that tour that you saw. But we played right. shows right. as well. And um, we even played some later shows where it was just Jim and me and Kevin Drum. Um, we did a show that was me and Jim and Azita actually um so we did some other things as well um we were doing live film scoring for a while at a place called chicago filmmakers we did some early we would like play live to tony conrad films this is probably 93 or something 94 something like that like early on tony's an
0: ongoing ongoing reference in this podcast
1: for sure of course well it, it you know you know you're swimming in the right pond if you're talking about tony yeah. conrad you know i mean he's uh he's the guy for sure yeah, he, he,
0: um, he, he would come out here for shows once in a while we um uh just awesome he was an awesome guy uh an awesome human Buffalo, being. Like the Buffalo. Um,
1: and he had this really incredible ability like if he came to your show that he just you just felt he just made you feel like you were the most important thing in the world you know uh yeah. it was really a beautiful quality um Yeah, what a great look! What a horrible loss. uh, awful. Um, Anyway, so that's kind of like how all of that kind of happened, you know, and and for instance, in Breeze Gloss, same kind of deal. You know, I felt like I was this this chimpanzee. These guys had already figured out all of these things. I look, man, I could play like I could play a bass and Mm -hmm. I was a pretty decent bass player at the time, had a lot to learn and still do. But like I could play, you know, I could play my instrument. I wasn't just some like, you know, whatever I could play. And I'd put a lot of work in and those guys knew that, but in what they were doing, like, I mean, I had no idea, you know, and they were so supportive and so helpful. And like, you know, even particularly at the time, like Dylan Poza especially was like so helpful to me, man. He would sit down and go like, no, maybe, maybe this is kind of what Try this and try this, you know, um, and you know, it's something I learned from Tim, you know, Tim is the first drummer that's ever said to me, like, no man, don't play with me you know, don't play with me. Yeah. yeah. And, 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 and then I would be like, what are you talking about? I just just spent my entire life learning how to play with a drummer, you know, because like for instance, Blake and I play with other drummers. I play with some jazz drummers and things, but like Blake and I's thing was almost like this precision machine. Yeah. And, uh, and we worked so hard on that. So like when I would play with somebody else, I would kind of be trying to do that just for lack of, I didn't know what else to do. Mm-hmm. And Tim really freed me. Uh, Tim Jones really freed me from that. Like just saying, hey, okay, man, don't play with me, you know, and and then kind of maybe offering some suggestions of what that meant. Um, and of course I de- I devoured that man. I yeah. just devoured completely and just kept going. But so many people, you know, I played with just, I can't, even, I can't even count how many times I went to Chicago and played shows during the 90s, so man. many times. Okay. How, um,
0: uh, just to, uh, uh, the Breeze Glace record, like uh, it's some of my favorite material, like on oh, uh, uh, top list, right? Mm. So I'm fascinated by like, how did you, the Win and Vanitas record, really any of it, but the Win and Vanitis LP, um, was that composed? Were those songs that you guys played? Was it improv? And then yeah. like later kind of mixed and manipulated.
1: Yeah. So it was, it's completely composed later, but I also think that it was like guided and directed while we were doing it. So we weren't just like um, improvising necessarily. Like, like there was some, there was a lot of intent behind what we were doing. And I, I something now, now like way further down the road i understand that like jim could probably already hear that record in his head and he already knew what he kind of wanted yeah and he was sort of guiding us in a in not not like a, a you know yeah a not dictatorial having- fashion but like kind of guiding us because he kind of had some ideas of what he was going to do when he got back and um so we were kind of like probably what you think we recorded a ton of stuff we recorded like a lot of stuff to to dat or to a dat tape and I think just a dat tape with a stereo mic I actually don't think there was no most of, most of what you're hearing on that is a dat tape to a stereo mic and then like a, the, uh, a, the band playing them yeah the band the band stuff That's on there and then and then the distorted drum stuff is Tim Jones with one microphone uh in his bathroom uh <laughs> I think it's bathroom playing distorted drums on, on a four track cassette. Yeah. So it's like yeah. it, lots of different recording qualities, all very new to me at the time. And then Jim, then we booked. we, uh, I, I was um, friendly with Steve Albini because I'd worked with him previously with Dazzling Kilman a bunch of times. Mm-hmm. And um, that was kind of like an in, uh, not me, but like Dazzling Kilman was kind of an in for a lot of the skin graft bands with, with Steve's that, that's kind of how that developed we recorded okay. with him very early uh before we were on skin graph we recorded with him and that kind of opened the door for these other guys to come in which was great i mean it was just awesome because everything sounds good that's the thing yeah. it, all, yeah, yeah, it yeah. all sounds awesome because he's so great and we re- went there and recorded and uh but we recorded mainly like those bigger noise collages and sound collage stuff like we didn't really record i don't remember actually recording any band things there oh that's like maybe, i would
0: i would have thought the opposite I would have yeah, thought maybe the a couple, all the noise
1: was separate. I, I feel like maybe that first piece we recorded like some of that there just to get a different drum sound. Um, but not a lot. Like I, I, I remember I, I one of the reasons I think that is because I remember feeling zero pressure playing bass and that's not usually what I would have felt <laughs> at the time. I would have felt a lot of pressure playing bass <laughs> and I did I remember not feeling any. So I don't think we, we just did a lot of like, percussion type things and sound things and and that kind of stuff there and then basically what happened was jim had taken all that dat stuff some of it was still on dat like we took a dat recorder to steve albini's which at the time was completely absolute blasphemy we took a four track cassette there he didn't know until we were doing it oh he knew it was a dat because we took the dat machine Uh, oh yeah he was completely furious um and then we dumped all of that into the uh the board and then the 24 track and then Jim, cause Jim had already made tape loops. Like, act, yeah. you know, he had already like mixed a lot of this at home on reel to reel. He had a reel to reel eight track and he'd already yeah. mixed a ton of this. And then we took all of that. And then he, he assembled that at, uh, at Steve's. Oh, okay. And we were there, you know, I was there for a lot of that. And, but, but it, he, he of course did all of that, you mm-hmm. know? Um, but it, but at the same time, it felt like a band. I mean, it, it, yeah, def, yeah. it definitely felt like a band. It's something that, interestingly enough, like that was probably the first thing I did that wasn't a band. And I thought it was a band and I treated it like a band. And it's something that I've done a lot in my life. And it's not like I regret that, but I don't think that's necessarily the way to go about it, at least for me. I think it it would have been better to recognize that it wasn't a band because like being in a band was so much of who I was and who I am. And I love that sort of like togetherness of a band. Even if a band is like not even getting along, you're at least not getting along together. You're, You're in it together. And I really like that. And I, you know, especially when you're pushing your own limits so, so much, and you're pushing yourself so hard to uh, explore and do new things. It feels it's, it's, it's nice to have other people that are on your team that are doing it with you, Mm
2: -hmm.
1: having that support. And uh, I think a lot of times, man, even, you know, even semi recently, I would be like, Oh, I'm in a band. Like I wasn't in a band you know, I've been in like three bands ever. I wasn't in a band at all. It just seemed like it was in a band, but I wasn't. So like when these things would start dissolving or someone would have a new interest or they would play with somebody else or something like that, you know, throughout my life, that's been super, super difficult for me to let go of that. Or just to like, I, it was very difficult not to take it personally. Um, and now I know that that was just like, that's just not the way to do it. It's like, they're just interested in other things like I'm interested in other right, things and right. it's nothing personal. And, you know, and even if it was, things have a time limit and you move on and you do other things, but kind of treating all these things I've done as a band is not, I, I think it's been a bit of a, bit of a mistake. Uh, mm-hmm. It's one that I won't repeat. I can tell you that at least. <laughs> you
0: know? Yeah. So at the, uh, so at the time, to- so, I mean, if I have the chronology, right, uh brief is going on, but then there's also, you fantastic and you own a
1: kit. Yeah, so so at that time, Brees Gloss and Dazzling Kilman were going on together at the same time. Okay. When Dazzling Kilman broke up, we Tim uh, Garrigan and I started You Fantastic with Tim Jones. Oh, okay, all right. And so at that uh, time, it's basically around this time simultaneously, Brees Gloss had kind of ceased, and uh, and Dazzling Kilman had kind of ceased. So we kind of like I. Grab tim jones and and then tim garrigan and i were already kind of like hey we should keep doing something but we knew we didn't yeah. want to do anything like des and killman so we want to do something totally different so
0: yeah
1: uh, that's when we started that the um i was
0: just listening i was playing uh the riddler ep for a friend of mine who is a huge breeze lace fan and jimmerick fan uh, yeah. he knows a lot about that stuff somehow missed you fantastic he doesn't mm. know how he did that uh and i was playing the riddler eps like wait, is this, is this part of Breeze Glaze? Like there was some drum parts. Uh, yeah. that, that EP is somewhat fascinating. I don't know if you want to talk about that or not. Um, I sort of forgot how it's structured on like the CD. It's all these incredibly short tracks that sort yeah. of all blend together, uh, yeah. and are repeating themes. Um, yeah. and, and yeah, I was like, I, I haven't like A that it yet, but, um, it, it's really separate material though. Right. There wasn't, well, totally, there wasn't separate recordings material. from that that were used in. Brazil. Yeah, yeah, T-
1: totally, right. totally separate material. I mean, material. Tim, Tim's
0: got a, a very distinct peculiar thing. and distinct way of playing. Yeah. Especially at the time, you know. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. His time, and, time signatures are crazy.
1: Yeah, it's, it's and the 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 way that they feel not feel but they are natural. The way that they're so natural and yeah. flowing.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're not flowing.
1: mechanical at all. Yeah incredible musician, like an an absolute incredible musician, huge, huge influence on me, man. Like he was someone, one of the first people along with Jim, but like someone, I remember going to his uh, apartment, one of his early apartments uh, and, you know, he just worked all the time. And like, I, I came from a thing of like, you know, you write these songs, you make the record, you do the tour. And Tim did not come from that. And he just works all the time and he's just creating and making all the time, every day, all the time. I guarantee you right now, if he's awake, he is creating and making something right now. And and that was something very new to, you know, at that time, you know, this is, you know, early nineties, you know, he had like, you know, hundreds, if not thousands of cassettes of original material that he recorded, you know, just, just everywhere. Yeah. And I uh, I it was it was alien completely alien to me and uh, it's something I try to strive for even t- today uh, because I, I that that notion of just creating and, and just doing is is enticing and it's and it's really beautiful and like not doing it for the show or the record or the thing not it's not for the thing the thing is actually the doing and the thing is actually creating yeah. To me, that's beautiful, and yeah. and that's and and that's also a mode for lasting a lifetime. It's a mode of operation that will last you forever.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, whether there is no show, no record, no nothing, you still can create and do. You know, I love it. Tim, um,
0: so yeah, we met Tim. Uh, cheer accident came to town. Um, man, mid '90s, late '90s, I think uh and we I, we must have helped book the show and so they stayed with us oh yeah it must have been like 94. Um, mm. i was still living with all the guys and my band and uh cheer accident crashed at our place and i oh, took him out to grab some food and oh yeah we talking and i brought up the breeze Glaze show um and he's like oh yeah he's like i think we played a cheer accident song that night um it was this Oh yeah. I don't know if you remember, so it was this piece, and he's like, Oh yeah, like, that piece can go on for any length of time. He's like, the longest I've played it is like eight hours, I think. Mm-hmm. And it was plans, or maybe he did it already, where they were gonna play it outside at some park in Chicago for
1: 24 like hours. Them. I did it for eight hours with oh. them outside at a park. Oh okay. I, I did that with them. But I think they've done one for more than 24 hours. I think they've actually done it for days. <laughs> Incredible. Yeah, it's this lock group called <laughs> Filet Nod, and it's on their record Sever Roots Tree Dies from the early 80s. And uh, yeah, we did. I totally remember that. And I think we did that. And I think Mount Shasta took our instruments from us and then played their show, I think is what happened that night. Yeah. Um, I think so, maybe yeah. something like that. Yeah, that's funny. Because yeah, I remember, remember you guys playing, and I was
0: pieces were coming in and out of the mix and I couldn't tell if you guys were doing that or I was doing that, like from a perception standpoint,
1: you were um, doing it from a perception yeah. standpoint. Cause <laughs> I've done the same thing with that. That's the thing that's incredible about that lock groove piece. It's just, it just, you, your perception of it just keeps changing. The hi-hats get louder. The bass yeah. drum gets softer. The bass drum gets louder. It's, it's all, it's all perception. It's awesome. And I've yeah. done that with them. I did that at Lincoln park with those guys. Uh, for eight hours yeah
0: yeah that was a big change like we uh so i was in a band called hilka at the time which is a finnish name you're probably aware of now yeah. uh, my buddy new just finished and was, that's his mom's name so we yeah i found out his mom's name like we're naming the band that yeah um, but i that that was the definitely a big influence on us <clears throat> we started doing tracks like that that we could mm. put into a set and just play it for however long we wanted to play it so we That's played it awesome. for, you know, at the end of a half hour set, then we played another hour and a half track.
1: Yeah, um, I love that. I love you know, that the stuff. Idea,
0: As from a playing standpoint, too, you get like, it's meditative. Even if it's aggressive, it's
1: meditative. And you sort of lose track of time. And uh, yeah, absolutely. Fascinating no, it's, stuff, yeah, It's totally fascinating. And I had a really funny one when I played that, that I think if I remember right, that piece is like in, well, the root note is an F. I remember that. And then I remember, like, I had my base and we had these little like we had like battery powered amps that we were using or something like that, you know, and um, I think we had little bitty little bitty baby amps outside. And I remember I remember Tim sort of like clicking it off and we started and then I within three seconds, I realized that I could have just tuned my E string to an F. <laughs> yeah. As opposed to holding down, <laughs> as opposed to holding down the note for eight hours, I could have just sat there with my right hand and played it like no problem at all for eight hours. Uh, and it felt really fitting. And I remember laughing when I when I realized that it felt like okay, it has to be this. It can't be anything else. It has to, It has to be this. It can't be easy. It has to be right. Hard. Right. <laughs>
0: um I, I wanted to get into uh some of the other collaborations you did after that so you collaborated really? with lauren connors uh pretty yeah. early on um
1: how
0: how did that connection happen
1: jim o'rourke you know man oh, it's okay. like the same, this the same thing will always keep coming back <laughs> like jim has just opened all the doors for me, man. I mean, really, I, I, it, it yeah. So that was like uh, a
0: table of the elements kind of thing. Probably. Yep. Yeah, or- I,
1: I met Lauren. I was a big, big fan of Lauren's and I was a big fan of his guitar Roberts when he was kind of known as guitar Roberts. Yeah. I was a really big fan of that. And you again, knew, I worked at a, I, You knew ahead, guitar sorry.
0: Roberts when he was going by that name.
1: Yeah. Oh, wow. And, and, um and, you know, I worked at a record store and I worked at yeah. a good record store. So I, uh I was a big fan. And, um, I remember this one night in particular, I was in, uh, Aachen, Germany, Bries Glass tour Europe and I was in, we toured Europe with Faust and Shellac. And I was in Aachen, Germany at our friend Christoph Heemann's house and a great composer. If you're not any, yep, if anyone yep. listening, not familiar with Christoph Heemann, he is incredible. And please check all of his stuff out. He's amazing. Um, and it was like one of those 3 a.m. things and he put on some Lauren Connors, man. And, uh, it was just, you know, it just brought it all back for me. I remember talking about it and then jump ahead just a little bit. And then I saw a table, of the elements festival, I think in Chicago, I think,
2: okay. and,
1: uh, 98, maybe 97 and Jim introduced this and, um, kind of set up us being friends and, uh, and, and working together. And I had already, I think, recorded a duo record with him. And then uh, we played a lot together. Like, So I, you know, not super proud of this part of it, but like, you know, I maxed out a credit card <laughs> flying to New York and back to play shows with him because yeah. I just believed in it all so much. And I was learning so much from him. I mean, I learned so much from him. And he was kind of like the first elder that I had uh in music that really like just accepted me as an equal and like was really encouraging to me and like most of my other things were like people my age and Mm -hmm. you know or younger but like you know or my mom and dad or like my my bass teacher or something you know but like he was the first person that I that I actually loved his records before and then I got to play with him and then he was super encouraging. So man, I just soaked it up. You know, I keep it's teaching me about painting and film and literature and whatever, New York city, and just like how to play with dynamics and like all, all of this kind of stuff or lack of dynamics, just, just on and on and on and on and on, the recorded history of all the things he was into. And, you know, also back to like, he just worked all the time. He just, he just recorded and recorded and recorded and recorded and recorded and recorded in his, his yeah. kitchen. At his house, in his apartment, yeah. he's recording in his kitchen, no excuses, no reasons, always creating, always making. And I just soaked it up, man. I just, I just went all in. And then I, I made, uh, I played upright bass and prepared bass and electric bass on a record called Hoffman Estates with uh, Alan yeah. Licht and uh, Lauren Mazakin at the time, Connors. And, and then like, kind of like a who's who at the time of Chicago, you know, improvised musicians or something. Right, right. And then I made another dual record with him, but, but, but seriously, in between that we played like, I don't know, a lot of shows, like a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of shows and uh, still somewhat keep in contact, but a huge influence on me. Like I can't even, you know, and again, back to that thing, there's just these points of of time where someone comes into my life and it's like, you know, I was struggling pretty hard with like where to go next and what to do and like how to be me and um, or how to, it's not so much about how to be me, but more about how to like fit me into something that works for someone else. Um, I, you know, I'm pretty OK with just being me, but how to fit that into a context that can work for somebody else is something that I struggled with repeatedly throughout my life.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And meeting him just sort of like same deal gave me all kinds of license and, you know, same also the same thing, opening doors in New York that I previously didn't have open for me, you know? Um, right. and we, we played a lot with other musicians, Steve Dalachinsky, the great poet who's passed on, unfortunately, yeah, yeah. really, really profound human being, great supporter of mine, great supporter of every human beings that's ever lived incredible person. Um, but all, but also people like, even like Kim Gordon and Equit Murray and DJ Olive and just like all, all kinds of people we were, we were kind of doing, uh, doing things with in New York. And that was, you know, there was those people, you know, who I was. So it was right. like, that was all because of Lauren mm. and, and directly and, because of Jim.
0: Yeah. 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 Lauren's fascinating. I've been kind of obsessed with his music for a long time. I think the first thing I got might've been the, in Pittsburgh with, mm. <laughs> Jim reissue. Oh boy, that um, is a real. And then, like, beautiful. right after that, it was like, Long Nights on Table of the Elements. And that's Great. still one of my killer. favorite records same, of all time. And killer. then, you know, at that time, like you said, he was recording nonstop in his kitchen, and those things were all coming out. So it's like every week, <laughs> I felt like every week I, I could buy a
1: new Lauren Connors. It was incredible. Yeah. Yeah. I love it so much. Yeah, 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 yeah. man. He, so he's a really big figure for me and a really big mentor, a very good friend and someone that like really honestly was a total game changer for me, like completely yeah, yeah. changed my trajectory as a, as an artist for sure. Cause, because he just, he just encouraged me, you know, and also playing with him was also like in it's not always the case, as you know, but like there's some people for whatever reason that you just sit down and you play. He plays a note, you play a note and you go, oh, OK, um, this works. This is this. OK. I mean, playing with him was so frankly, it was just easy. It sounds really sad to say and weird to say, but like it was he made it incredibly easy. I was going to ask I, how, how those sessions go
0: on with him. Like, is it literally no talk and you just yeah someone starts and you go right yeah
1: mm-hmm. yeah for sure. yeah but but he has a lot of ideas you know he has a lot of it because like the playing part is pretty much just playing but he's kind of also like a master of of editing and framing his playing that's something that i think that he's especially great at is the framing of his playing so he does things that like, you know, I, I remember even making those, the, the, especially the, the the second duo record we made is live, but the first one is like studio stuff. And I remember like I mixed that with O'Rourke in Chicago and um, just me and him. But Lauren had sent all these notes. He had like faxed all these notes. And it was just sort of like. You know, very specific of like, you know, unfortunately, all that stuff was on faxes. So it all just sort of like disappeared from the fax. It's such a bummer because it would be so cool to have that stuff. But like, you know, cut off at like 513, you know, and then we would go like 513. You would listen to it and go like, it actually cuts off in the middle of a note. And then you would go like, oh, well, you know, kind of like I would go. Jim probably knew to do that, but I would go like, well, no, man, let's let. And he would be like, no, that he that's exactly what he wanted he knew exactly what he wanted in the editing so it's like cut that off at 513 he wanted that note cut off so that when he brings in the next part it started just flowing it started just like it would flow into the next section you know what i mean so he really could hear these things in his head he was a master of framing his playing and framing and framing his music and still is in my opinion Uh,
0: it's funny because i think i mean i being a huge fan that uh, a little bit surprises me, right? You think of him as uh, very organic, and um, I don't know, sort of hands off. I don't know what the right term is, but it's interesting that like he has those things in mind. Um, yeah. Where oh yeah, yeah. He has a lot natural. in mind. Yeah, there's a lot and, of. And when
1: I, when I think he's playing, I think he's just playing. I don't think he's yeah. thinking. Yeah, I don't, sure. think, I don't yeah. think he's thinking of anything. I think yeah. he's just playing. I think he's just in it. But afterwards, he's definitely framing it, you know, and, you know, later on, maybe maybe he would have some kind of like shortcut because he would realize he didn't maybe want to listen through a half hour of music to get that two minutes that he wanted or something, you know. But no, man, like he definitely was like that for sure. Like like extensive notes for editing, extensive, extensive notes and then also revision notes from there. Yeah of That's what he liked thing. and what he didn't like and you know um, yeah but no i love him i i love that man He's yeah. a really great gift to this world We're all lucky um, he's in it
0: my band pango uh had the fortune of sharing a stage with him we set up a show together down in new york uh back in 2019 mm. yeah the summer of 2019 mm. uh it was an oddball afternoon show at some like metal bar in brooklyn or something <laughs> Oh wow. Um but Aki Onda, like showed up and I didn't know him at the time and he came and he was talking to Lauren and Lauren introduced us and then I'm like, I think I have records by you.
1: <laughs> yeah. Oh that's um, awesome.
0: Yeah, it was but uh, it was great, you know, hanging out with him and Suzanne and stuff.
1: Yeah, Suzanne um, is incredible too. She's yeah, an incredible yeah. musician oh, artist in her yeah, right. So nice incredible.
0: too and easy to so work
1: so nice. Yeah. So nice, yeah.
0: So there's a couple drummers that I kinda want to talk about. Uh you mm. know, Project with Chris Corsano, who uh, we've done a lot of stuff to get—not playing together, but like booking hmm. shows—and now he lives nearby. Um, wow. and, uh, Tyler Damon is another one that I'm ah, kind of interested awesome. in. Um, how? Yeah. How did you meet each of those guys? Um, how those projects happened?
1: Um, yeah. So, so I had known of Chris, but I met Chris early. I think maybe 2000 or 2001, maybe, maybe 2000. Mm. And I would, at that time, there was a few shows and a few things going on with this band called Loose Fur, which is uh, yeah, Jim yeah. O'Rourke and Glenn Cochi, uh, who are my two best friends and Jeff Tweedy. Yeah. And they needed a bass player. So I was playing bass live with them and we did some shows in New York uh, I don't remember where some big warehouse might even been called a warehouse St. Ann's warehouse. And um, we played a few, like maybe three nights or something like that. And pe- different people opened up each night and uh, our also mutual, really good friend, Tim Barnes and Tim Barnes and Chris Gorsano had a drum duo, uh, did a drum duo and opened. And I met Chris that night. Um. And then really very shortly thereafter, uh, I have a group with Glenn Cochi called On Fillmore that we've done for twenty two years now. And um we did a tour, and Chris and Paul Flaherty opened for us like, you know, I should say we shared a bill. I mean, it was like they opened for us, but like we we shared a bill. I mean, come on, and it's Paul Flaherty for peace sake. and and um, yeah, and so, and then it kind of just went from there. and then, you know, really maybe a few, just about two or three years after that, uh, Jim O'Rourke, again, back to Jim, uh, had Chris and I come to Japan to uh, Akira Sakata, my my great mentor, probably my greatest mentor and, uh, and teacher. Um, he was kind of making a bit of a, not a comeback, but he was making a bit of a Re entry into the free jazz and that kind of world at the time, he had not been doing a bunch of that. And Jim assembled this group with Chris and I, and um, and himself, and uh, at the time, some other people. But we went there and did that, and then that from there, it was just sort of like that's where Chickamarachi, Chris and I's duo, yeah, yeah. uh, that's where we. And that's been going on since 2005. Yeah. It's, it's crazy to me that it's that long. Cause like, I don't think of it as something that's that old, but it's, you know, that's 17 years ago. That's a long time ago, you know? Um, and Chris is, you know, without a doubt one of the biggest influences on anything that I do um, and biggest inspirations, you know, like I, I lean on my times with him often and Um, the way that he approaches music, the way that he approaches life, the way that he approaches creating, the way that he approaches rhythm, uh, the way that he approaches his day, approaches other people is uh, intoxicating to me. And it's a really, really beautiful thing. And I, I, Anyone that meets him pretty much says the same exact thing about him, you know, except I've been fortunate enough to like tour the world with him and make a ton of records with him and like spend a lot of time getting lost in Japan with him and like really some beautiful times. And, you yeah. know, um, I haven't talked to him in a minute. I need to do that. Uh, I want to do that. But, you know, one of my best friends, I mean, really just an incredible human being. No one has pushed me harder than him on a stage ever. Yeah. Yeah. You know, like like I I've shared stages with him. You know, I, I will probably one of the most we, we've done some pretty intense ones in Japan for sure. Um in Japan we've done like so basically when we play there, we basically play with Akira Sakata and Chikamarachi and then with Jim O'Rourke mainly, of course, because Jim's the one setting it all up, of course, and doing everything. And it's so you know, that quartet is like. Super fun to play with, for sure. But, you know, that band plays for hours when we play. We do, like, play for hours of that music. So wow. it's like an hour and a half, two hours sometimes. It's yeah. every night. It's cr- crazy. But playing with people like the um, Kyoto player, Michio Yagi, um, Mertzbao. You know, Masami Akita, we made a record with Mertz, Bob. We also played with him a lot of times in Japan, unrecorded. Uh, But then, you know, other people like uh, Yamashita Yosuke, uh, Masahika Sato. Um, We did uh, Keiji um, Haino with Chris um, and Sakata. Also um, did a night with Mintanaka and the the great uh, dancer Mintanaka, um, which was a life dream of mine. Like I, I... You know, I I had seen some videos of VHS cassettes of him in the early 90s and maybe even late 80s that were kind of like floating around weirdo VHS dudes worlds. Yeah. And which is completely blown away. I mean, like, I mean, I still am. And, uh... During that, before I came on that tour, Jim asked me who was, you know, left in Japan that I hadn't played with that I really wanted to play with. And I mentioned some people and he's like, no, man, like who? And I'm like, I said, "Uh, Mintanaka. And then the next thing I knew, we're doing a night with Mintanaka. And it was uh, it was the hardest I've ever played. (laughs) i mean there was a point at about 80 percent where i had completely ran out of gas completely you know i was jet lagged i was like i had ran out of gas and chris chris wasn't having it man he just put it on the afterburner and here we go man you know it's like because chris chris more than anyone that i've ever played with well for one thing he's a lot more subtle uh of a drummer than most people I think give him credit for think of him as he's very, 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 can be very subtle. And, you know, that's something that separates him from like um, drummers that maybe play so much drums so actively, let's say, is that he can do that at a very low volume. He doesn't need to do that at a high yeah, volume. Right, right. And, and also the way he tunes his drums is so incredible i mean it's just so it's so perfect for an upright bass player it's perfect because you have your own little world to live in and it's just wonderful um is he just curious do you know does he tune them differently depending on who he's playing with that's interesting i don't i mean i bet somewhat I, and I bet he really does that now. Back yeah. then, maybe not like quite as so low. I wonder if he goes lower to just to fill I, it out. I lower. wonder that too, actually. I, I got to talk to him question. about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know the answer to that, but yeah. that would be curious to know the I would assume that he does. But for the most part, he has a system of tuning that allows the drum to resonate really fully without necessarily ringing. It's just resonating. Yeah. And it's, uh, it's awesome. It's just awesome. And he has this thing of like when the whole thing has reached level 10 and there's just nowhere to go you know he's the one person that just can go and like hey he has an extra thing and and yeah. and be- because he has that extra thing everyone that he plays with has that extra thing whether they knew they had it or not mm-hmm. he can pull that out of you and that's a really unique quality in a musician yeah you know, i've never seen him something higher. out of you
0: yeah never I've never seen a never. or anything never ever ever
1: it's incredible (laughs) this is absolutely incredible incredible musician so that that's how i kind of got connected with him and you know we've toured all over the world and made tons of records we've toured as chikamarachi we've toured all over with akira Sakata, up and down you know all over the place in uh in japan Many, many 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 times in japan and then tyler damon i actually met because he put on a show that chris and i played and i met him In Bloomington, uh, geographically, Bloomington, Indiana, where Tyler lived at the time, is about three and a half hours or so from where I lived in Illinois. So it wasn't too far. Mm -hmm. I have been recording for the Family Vineyard label for years. And at the time, that label was in Bloomington, Indiana, part of Secretly Canadian and on and on and on. So I was going to Bloomington a lot. I made a lot of records in Bloomington, Indiana. And I met Tyler then. And uh, it was also instant. And I just loved his whole thing and loved his vibe. And then not much later, uh, he was playing with someone else. And I wish that I could remember maybe an upright bass player, actually. Uh, But anyway, I was really struck by his playing. And I was coming back through doing a solo thing. And I was like, hey, man, you should do. How about I do a solo and you do a solo? Yeah. And he had never played solo before and he kind of like, kind of reluctantly said yes to do it. And it was amazing. And I, um, I had wanted to do something with my electric prepared bass playing with a drummer for a really long time. And I was already doing a lot of stuff with Chris with my upright. So I I wanted to do this other thing with a drummer for ages and it was just perfect timing. And I started, made a couple, you know, albums with, with Tyler and, um, I love him. I love yeah. his playing. I love his energy. I love his entire thing. Uh, and another guy where it's like, you just never hear anyone say anything bad about that guy for yeah. a really great reason because there's nothing to say that's bad. Was you know,
0: it, Was it a Brandon Lopez, maybe the upright bass player now for
1: New York? No, no, no. It was, no, no, I, I don't think so because he was a okay. Bloomington guy, too. This is a long, this is a pretty oh. long time ago now. Okay. This is probably like 2000, I don't know, a long time ago, before because- 2010, even yeah Tyler's young he's a younger guy right yeah he's younger yeah yeah
0: yeah I saw uh I I think the first time I came across his work was maybe with Tashi Dory mm. um, well, that's
1: amazing yeah
0: yeah and then Tashi came to town with Manas uh Tom Nguyen mm. and him
1: uh a couple yeah, that guy's something I else man just friend space yeah I love his music otherworldly I love it yeah so good man so so good um
0: so yeah that re the the record you put out with uh eco ishibashi right
1: yeah Uh, go ishibashi Yep. yeah
0: um so how did that come about i mean that thing i remember that came out and uh, you know i've been i've been aware of your a lot of your records for time and and knowing you know i follow you on instagram too so i saw you doing stuff with uh you know uh tweety projects and you and Corsano and stuff and that thing uh got a lot of press got a lot of praise uh, it's a really great record how did that uh, collaboration like start and happen?
1: yeah so I met Eiko through Jim O'Rourke and uh, <laughs> and um, we became friends and we had done some duos at smaller venues and things like that in in Japan and um, we that 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 record is just a live that's a live show that we played so and it was that that duo, I'm a big fan of her music, like a very, very big fan of her music. Uh, she has a new record out called For McCoy that I think is just astounding. It's it's mind blowing. It's so good. Um, she just did the soundtrack to this Drive My Car film that's floating around and doing really well. And, you know, I, I, I'm a big fan of her music, and um, but that duo was kind of instant, and I I, I really like it, meaning that you know kind of like with Lauren where it was kind of like she played a note and I played a note. And then I knew kind of like, Oh, okay, well, yeah, this is the thing. This is like, this is a thing. And, and it was, it wasn't difficult. And I felt really free and, and loose and I felt like it was okay to be me. And that's something I can't say with too many people. Like I felt like it was just okay to be myself and I, I didn't feel self conscious and when she would play, I was like, Oh yeah, I'll do this. Or like, Oh no, just let her play by herself. Or like, you know, I, I really, it, nothing was forced. Nothing was forced. Sometimes some cool things come from things being forced. Don't get me wrong, yeah. but nothing was forced with this. It was all just this organic flowing thing uh, like water almost. And, uh, I would love to do another. Re- we, we have a, we have like a little CDR album that we kind of like sell at live shows when we play in Japan. And then this one, I would love to do another record with her because it's uh, I love that duo. I yeah, I love that record. She lives in Japan right now,
0: right?
1: She lives in Japan. Yep. She lives outside of Tokyo, a couple hours outside of Tokyo.
0: Yeah.
1: Fantastic musician. Yeah. Fantastic.
0: Yeah. I, I, th- I, th- that was, that's the only thing I think I'm, uh, I have of hers, so I, I definitely need to track down.
1: Yeah, man. Well, there's so much, so you should definitely check it out. There's a really, because uh, she does, you know, she does some more like instrumental kind of sounding things, you know, too. But, but she has a really great record called Dreams My Bones Dream or something like that on Drag City that is a singing record that is super good super 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 good and then that four mccoy record that's one that i would definitely check out if you yeah. can it's it's, it's awesome it's just awesome yeah awesome
0: We, we you, so you've mentioned jeff tweedy a little bit so yeah Fur mm-hmm. was something that you sort of helped out with a little bit um a friend of mine pointed out that he produced an early dazzling killman th- record yeah so how have you well, one is, is he a St. Louis guy or Chicago? I know. Yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah. he He's also from the east side of St. Louis. So he's ah. from another small town on the east side of St. Louis. And okay. he grew up there and we all sort of grew up together, you know, yeah. like knowing each other. And, um, you know, those towns are a little bit further away. I mean, they're not far away at all. But when you're not driving a car, they're really yeah. far away. Yeah. yeah. Uh, But no, we all knew each other from that whole entire time. And he, he like helped and produced kind of the first Dazzling Kilman record to got the switch and a couple early seven inches as well. In fact, he plays guitar on uh, early seven inch.
0: Yeah, probably be surprised by that.
1: Yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, I mean, most people not,
0: nowadays know him as just Wilco. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's not surprising
1: him. like if you know, know him because he has such yeah. like very taste in music and like something at the time that was really great for Dazzling Killman is like we were friends with Uncle Tupelo and friends with Jeff and all of those guys. And think that's something that was really great for us is Uncle Tupelo was already making records. They were already touring and we weren't doing that and we really didn't know what to do. We didn't know how to do it. And they kind of like Really, really, really helped out with all of that. You know, for instance, our two vans that we had in Dazzling Kilman were Uncle Tupelo's old vans, and like they even helped us on that level. And you know, we had no idea how to make a record or how to record. We didn't know even know what it was. Yeah. And Jeff had already done that and done it well, and it was super, super helpful to us early on. Like super supportive and super helpful, in like getting connections and kind of like how to make a record and how to even like we didn't even know what you did when you got there. I didn't even know what you did. I didn't know what, i didn't even know what happened when you went to a studio so he kind of like met with us at some band practices and kind of walked us through and how's how we could do it and things like that so super helpful early on yeah yeah yeah
0: Morning. i remember when glenn and uh I, i'm forgetting the guitar player's name joined the band joined wilco um i was like oh those guys are in wilco now and my friends who are like tupelo and wilco fans but have no idea of anything more yeah, underground or experimental. Uh, they're like, Who are those guys? I'm like, Right, oh, right, right. Yeah, yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah. And you know, and you know, for me, I mean, Glenn is my best friend, and it's yeah. uh, it's uh, we've been together a long time, man. It's pretty incredible. It's really, really incredible. Yeah, it's awesome. super, super huge figure for me. You know, it's like beyond, you know, um, w- w- when I'm in doubt, I can oh, I can just look at the map that he's laid out of how to do it you know how, how he's done it is uh, if, if you're lost you can kind of look <laughs> to him I think a little bit if you want to know how to do something at least you know yeah. um, he's definitely someone that you can look to and also another one of those people you know like and that's something that I've been super fortunate to play with drummers that are just you know, any good that's in me is because of these drummers that I played with, you know, whether it's like Blake Fleming or Danny McLean from Grandulina, um, Tyler Damon, Tim Jones, we've talked about Chris Corsano, Glenn Cochi, um, But even like more recently, um, I was in uh, a, a few years ago, I was to made a record and I was touring a bit with this guy, William Tyler, a good friend of mine and yeah. um, and Joe Westerland played drums on that tour and you know I learned he he was in megaphone and he's been in all kinds of things but like just I learned a lot from that guy touring with him and he was really like super helpful and like really that's just a few years ago I learned so much from him and then for no, another drummer that's just like popping in my head is I made this record with this singer songwriter David Huckfeld up in Iowa kind of like almost like a country singer songwriter guy And um, this drummer, JT Bates, who plays with just frankly, everyone, uh, he's the guy who kind of set that up and playing with him. And like, he's this really great, well, just a great human and a great drummer. But like, he has this beautiful swing to his drumming and like a beautiful sound to his drums. But another one of those things that like, he's very welcoming as a human being. And like, you you just feel like you probably want to hug that guy. (laughs) but his drumming sounds like that. His drumming sounds like something that you want to hug, you know, it's like, it's so welcoming and so open and so giving. And, you know, that was just a few years ago. And like, you know, I've been so lucky and, and, you know, like I probably played some of my best songwritery bass playing on that record for lack of better word, like songs bass playing on that record. And really because of, but, you know, him just it. I just felt so comfortable and so at ease with him and the other guys, too, of course, it was a really great session. But I've been so lucky to play with these drummers, you know, just so lucky. I mean, it's because uh, they're all amazing, you know, and it's like I I feel like any good in me is because of them. You know, yeah, um, I, I really think I could have showed up with a shoebox full of marbles and a contact mic. And uh, <laughs> I think I would have sounded just fine with those guys. I think you're going to be OK, you know. <laughs> well so you moved to finland recently is this a long
0: term thing or uh yeah
1: yeah i so i um i moved here in may of last year after living 53 years in one spot and never moving um but i still have a place outside of st louis i still live i still live there as well if you will but my sort of like uh Main residences here in Finland. I live in a little town called Forsa that is uh about an hour and 20 minutes north of Helsinki. Um, you know, for my purposes, it seems like the middle of nowhere. I, I live in a very small town. I live in the middle of three national parks, uh, which are just vast, vast, vast wildernesses. The second largest wetland in the country is 10 minutes away. Um, these huge, huge wildernesses with massive lakes and birch trees and pine trees. and uh... So, yeah, I moved here in May. I got married uh, and moved here. Uh, my wife is Yona uh, Tervomas, She's a singer here with an awesome career. I would definitely encourage everyone to check her out. Incredible. Um, if you haven't already, she's, she's fairly well known here in Finland, but, uh, and she's made a ton of records, like a ton, a ton, a ton of records. So, um, it's been great to like have her as my, really my, my support network here. Um, and yeah, I'm living here. I live, I have a little like workspace here. I'm mainly teaching, And I've taught, like I've mentioned before, I've taught since I was a teenager. It's something that I've always like enjoyed doing and like just giving back. I I don't, it's not like I know that much, but like, I really have always felt like a desire or or need to just be helpful to people. If I can be helpful and just sort of like, if I know something that can help you, I would really like to help you in any way that I can. And I really enjoy working with young people and, you know, and it's not like I'm teaching people, um uh Tony Conrad or something you know it's like I'm you know I'm teaching people a Creedence Clearwater Revival song sometimes but I'm also doing other things and okay. interspersing other ideas and um so I'm doing a lot of that so I'm I'm mainly doing that online and you know um I uh for that I could be reached through my website you know uh, DarrenGrayMusic.com. you can reach me through there but I've been doing that mainly in the stage which means I'm keeping some kind of crazy hours here because I'm 8 hours ahead so I'm keeping some nutty hours um, uh, there's a guy, uh, 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 if you haven't heard this guy, please check him out. His name's Sami Pekala. Awesome, uh, reed player, tenor sax player, uh, free improviser. Just awesome. He lives pretty close by. Um, he's been super supportive of me and like really helped me kind of get my feet, uh, <laughs> on the ground here. Um, this other guy, Yusi yakon Aho. I'm butchering his last name, is <laughs> pretty difficult, but he has been in Yona's band for 20 years or something, kind of like a relationship like Glenn Cochi and I have, like they're super tight, super best friends. And, you know, that guy has been so helpful to me here, like, you know, loaning me gear and pedals and amps and guitars and just anything I really needed. He's been so helpful. Also an awesome musician. He's actually done some really, This the other day, I, I didn't know he did this. He did some like Captain Beefheart kind of like, covers that I would encourage people to check out, uh, that are really interesting. But he has a solo record. That's really great. Um, but I haven't really like met or played with people here, you know, uh, Glenn on Fillmore hilariously played a show here at Sibelius's backyard. Uh, in the summer, Glenn happened to be here, which was crazy. A little COVID window opened up and he came through. And Glenn on Fillmore and Yona are making an album together. And that's how Yona and I met. So we met kind of like making music together, So, um, which is great. And it's taking a long time, of course, because of uh, COVID, but yeah. It's coming along. We did a pretty decent session here in Finland and, uh, on Fillmore and Yona, Tervamar are going to play at the, uh, Solid Sound Festival, um, at the end of May. We're going to do a sort of collaborative show. I don't know what we're going to do, but we're going to do something together. So, yeah. um, it, sounds yeah.
0: In, where is that?
1: Uh, North Adams, Massachusetts. Yeah. Okay. All right. At that yeah. Massimoca. Yeah. It's That's a great beautiful. festival, oh, man. Right. Right. I'm super excited this year because Sunra Orchestra are going to play, so that's that's pretty exciting. Oh, nice. Um, but yeah, so yeah, I moved. You know, that's kind of like I have a um, I have a, a more recent solo uh, upright bass record that came out in July on Ongoing Box. Um, that's an LP and a Bandcamp thing, and um, that was something I composed for dance. That basically, you know, the guy who had who commissioned me to do that liked it and wanted to put it out on LP. And yes, was the answer. And um, and then probably that record with Eiko Ishibashi. That's on Black Truffle. That's something that's still available. That's something that's pretty recent. And then I have a duo with Pak Young Lau, and that's on by Bluest of Sea Records. And I don't know if anybody, you know, like if you're a record collector nerd. Um, it's a double 10 inch and I'm, it's the, it's the most beautiful packaging I've ever seen. It's like a gatefold 10 inch, these gorgeous photos with like, um, paper, like inserts and like, it, it's like a book. It's just gorgeous. The vinyl's beautiful. Um, really, really, they did a top notch job. Like I was kind of blown away when I saw it. I was like, oh man, I almost felt apologetic. You know, I, in a weird. <laughs> it was so nice. I felt bad kind of, you know? what well, label put that out again by by the bluest of seas okay um it's it's over here somewhere i'm not actually for sure where it is i feel like it's up north somewhere yeah. and uh and, and then you know mainly just surviving and practice like all like all of us are hopefully trying to do trying yeah, to yeah. uh it's been a uh, interesting time for all of us yeah. for sure you know, it's nice to connect with people. It's always nice for me to be able to speak English with someone, because especially where I live, like I live in a real small town here. Like, you know, majority of people are pretty reluctant to speak English here. And, you know, yeah. why would they, speak yeah. English? they have to? I think I mean, I'm the only American, certainly in my town. And I'm the only, you know, one of the handful of English speaking people that the uh, native Agree, in- right. people that live here and
0: down in Helsinki
1: it's more common you can so, yeah way more common like you go to Helsinki everybody speaks English and and really good English too frankly yeah. uh probably better than mine probably. for sure <laughs> um but yeah you know I mean I haven't really started digging in and kind of like you know I, I've been trying to a little bit use this time to kind of um figure out what I want to do next and kind of like figure out what it is that I am here and kind of like not take advantage, but sort of like rather than try to fill the space, just maybe leave it a little empty and see what it fills up with, uh, mm-hmm. rather than trying to fill it up myself. Um, and that's pretty easy to do right now because there's no one knocking on the door. There's no, you know, there's nothing going on necessarily at this point. So, um, I've been fortunate that I'm a, I love practicing, you know, I love I love love, 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 love practicing. i've I've always been a disciplined and diligent practice since since I was young. and um, so that keeps me going, you know, I can be, I'm endlessly fascinated with just practicing and late lately, I've been kind of like shifting my practicing a little bit where I really like the sort of traditional way of practicing. i I like practicing intervals and chords and scales and arpeggios and whatever, you know, I, I, I I like working technique things. I enjoy that. Mm -hmm. Um, But lately I've been trying to uh, not make that a hundred percent of what I'm doing. I've been, I've been lately, I've been trying to find some new ways to keep that same diligent and disciplined practice, but keep it more open and try to gear it more towards what I'm actually interested in doing and what I'm actually wanting to uh, step into rather than, you know, something a little more traditional, you know, the thing is with these traditional elements of music is that it's infinite. It's, it's just, it's, it, it, it will never end. You can, you know, you can play a C major scale the rest of your life, man. I mean, it's like it, 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 there's, there's so much there. I mean, there's so many things you can do with that. It's infinite. And I have, I wouldn't say it's a bad habit, but I have a quality in me that I'm a grinder. You know, it's like, you can see it on my face. So like, I'm a person that grinds. I, I'm that guy. You know, uh, I train my body every day. You know, I train my mind every day. I train every day. I'm, I grind. And that's not always a great quality, man. It's like, I, I, and I lean much too heavily into that sometimes. And so like, for instance, like that C major scale scenario, like I'm pretty okay with grinding out a C major scale. I'm, I'm pretty okay. I'll grind it out and I'll just do it until, and then I'll, it's almost like I'll wake up months later or something and go like maybe you should do something else. Like you've been playing a C major scale for like three months now, you know? But like for me, I'm like, I'm just, I'm, I'm reconfiguring it and finding these new ways to explore it. And like, it makes sense to me to work that way. But I don't think, you know, that, that's the thing that I would go back to with my Midwestern work ethic. And like, you know, something that I realized much later in life was that I will outwork you always, but I will not uh, work as smart as you. <laughs> I'm not, you know, my my work, my my method. If I'm left to my own devices, is just outwork you. Yeah. But but like let us say we're doing something like we're learning a Bob Dylan song. Okay, let's just say that, and like I'm gonna outwork you learning a Bob Dylan song, and you're gonna show up to the show, and someone's gonna say like, hey man, let's play that Bob Dylan song. Do you know what you're going like? No, but. Um, let's try it. And you're going to nail it. And it's going to sound completely awesome. You don't know. Me. I've been, I've, I, 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 yeah, but, but you know what I'm saying? Like, and then yeah. I've been yeah, yeah. like over here, like I've been having an existential crisis and like peeling the skin off my body for two months, trying to learn a Bob Dylan song properly. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah. that's not a smart way to work. And, and the thing that I've learned over time is it makes this sort of like edginess about me that isn't always like great in a, in a band or a group context. It's sort of like somebody else is just walking and going like, yeah, man, let's play, let's have a good time. And I'm like, you know, you know what I mean? It's like, I, I'm, I'm way too intense about it, you know? So I'm learning, I'm, I'm, I'm like, that's something, the only reason I'm bringing that up is you mentioned Finland, like that's the kind of stuff I'm working on right now. I'm working like daily on like new ways to operate and new ways to like step into something and new ways to leave space so that something can happen. Um, not always just like, you know, hitting the grinder, like lead, leaving some space so something else can occur. Um, that's kind of what I've been up to.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I've been really enjoying your uh, photos that you post on oh, yeah. Instagram or something. <laughs> I you know you know we're in Rochester, New York, so we get a lot of snow, but it's not Finland. Yeah, (laughs) man, no, it's like it's a different Uh, situation. Effect and stuff, but um, I see those photos and I'm like, and I love uh, kind of brutal snowstorms, which we get here. Mm -hmm. But um, yeah, yeah,
1: me too. I I, uh, uh, it is not a scenery around there is pretty amazing looking. It's really, really profoundly beautiful the 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 wilderness here is i've never seen anything like it you know it's really really i mean this you know no matter what's going on finland has you know the cleanest air that i've ever breathed i've ever taken into my lungs and it has the cleanest water that i've ever drank and it's like those two things air and water it's pretty important (laughs) and uh even that you know there's lakes i'm swimming in that i could just drink the water i mean it's like it's just fine it's okay uh it's uh that that is definitely having an impact on me and like having i've always been a big you know real world person walking in the woods this type of stuff i've, I've done that since i was a little kid and always been kind of obsessed with it and uh it's nice to be able to take it to another level here you know when i was back in Edwardsville, i've got uh a bunch of patches of woods that I love. I walked in every single day, every day, you know, I would wake up, train, practice, uh, correspondence, walk in the woods every single day. And uh, before I started my day and, uh, I can't think of any much better way to do it than that. And here I've been able to kind of like up at a notch, you know, I mean, yeah. these, these woods here are a different thing, you know? <laughs> They will eat you you know it's a different it's a different it's a different thing I mean it's just so huge and so vast and it's been really awesome you know getting to know my wife in those woods and in these situations like we're getting to know each other while we're doing this and that's yeah. pretty great it's really yeah I appreciate you saying that about like, you know, like I'm not much of a social media guy and like I, but like Instagram is something I like because I, I don't really, I'm not, I don't really scroll. So I don't really know what's happening on there for the most part, but I always sort of have this, like, I feel a little bit bad when I post like 12 pictures of mushrooms, you know, because like I'm super obsessed with mushrooms. So it's like, it's like, I I think like no one wants to see this, but <laughs> A lot of times what I like with, especially with like mushrooms, I, w- I won't go off on a mushroom tick cause I can go off for days with that. But like a, a lot of times, sometimes what I'm doing with like mushrooms, I'm taking a pictures of it. So rem- when I get back, I can just like, I'll, I'll post it and then I can look at it later and kind of go, oh, and then I'll try some IDs and things like that. And kind of like trying to figure out what I'm actually seeing out there mm. is one of the reasons I'll, I'll, I'll post that. And I also, I also like the idea of just like putting things from the real world into the false world. You yeah, know, like yeah. it, it it feels good to put something real inside of there. Yeah. Right. Make the AI like go, oh, what's happening? What is this garbage? This is not this is not what we intended, you know? I like it too, because it's not, it's not time I have a I have a hard
0: time with um so I'm a uh, software developer and yeah. I eat it when Instagram changed their ordering feed from yeah. time based to something else, right? some other algorithm uh and you know so i go down like you know i follow restaurants in town and they'll post something about you know some special or they had to close and i'm like oh that's two days old but i'm just seeing it today so it's nice when you see a
1: nature photo it doesn't matter when you know i mean they're like yeah timeless yeah i also like the idea about just not trying to sell something sometimes you know it's like it's, it's nice just to like that part of it i i really like sharing that part of it you know right and, and you know there's you know i and i also feel like you know i i know that this has worked for me at times like you know as musicians and artists we can get so you know we get so wrapped up in our heads man you know and it's like we think that all this stuff is so important you know but like really you know uh the woods doesn't care about any of right. that <laughs> it, it does it doesn't care man it doesn't yeah. it doesn't you and I like, I've liked myself just sort of like having these gentle reminders sometime of like, oh yeah, there's this whole world and it's the actual real world. And I should probably spend a lot more time in it than I am, you know? Uh, yeah. and you know, especially, you know, when, you know I have kids and, uh, my, my, my kids are, my sons are grown now, you know, they're men now, but, uh, you know, they, I drug them to the woods all the time, you know, like exposing these, it's an important thing for sure. It's, uh, it's something I really love. Uh, and you know, I'm, I'm not going to be super sad when winter's over, but, uh, but I've definitely enjoyed winter, you know, like I ride my bike every day on the snow, in the snow, and the ice, I you know, I, I completely embrace it, man. You know, I, I've, I've been super, you know, I was very into like, uh, you know, for instance, I've only taken like cold showers for probably 20 years or something, you know, I've, I've been into that for a really long time, but coming here, it's like, well, all the water's cold. So it's like, I've been doing a lot of like, uh, they call it a Vanto, but like ice swimming, I do that multiple times a week. I do cold water submersion every day, but you know, Finland and saunas, man. I mean, I do saunas every single day, you know, for 20 minutes, the benefits of, uh, You know, on a side note before we go, if I could, you know, back to helping anyone that I can, something that I would mention to anyone is like, you know, if you, I am not a doctor and I have no idea what your personal health is happening with you. I don't know what's going on, but I will say that if you're feeling jammed up and you're feeling sort of just jammed up in your mind, especially, you know, if you can find a place to get into some cold water and if you can find a place to do sauna, get in there, man, heat and cold exposure. It will change your world. It will. And I don't know about like, you know, I don't know about any of this. I don't know who's into this. I don't know about the science. I'm not much of a like internet. Pro- I don't sit around and scroll on the internet all day. I don't do any of that. Yeah. I just work on music and walk in the woods and spend time with family. That's all I do. So I, I don't know what's out there, but I'm sure there's resources for that. But if you can figure that out, do it. Cause it will, it will reset you in a way that you need to be reset it really yeah. really will um yeah that training thing is just so important you know i, I wish that it's it's just important to train
0: <laughs> yeah i have to i'm a creature of habit but for some reason there's certain habits that i don't stick to
1: <laughs> yeah my, my it's...
0: Base, like i'm a soft i'm freelance so I have to steal my hours wherever I get and I have, you know, kids and stuff. And so I have a hard time like saying, okay, I'm going to go do this at nine o'clock because something yeah. up, you know, work-wise. Um, so yeah, I have to, I have to get back into it. When, during the beginning of the pandemic, it was, I think, easier because all my clients were sort of chaotically trying to figure out what they were yeah. doing, you know, cause they were all at home too. Uh, so I was able to go on, you know, a five mile walk in a oh, walk every day at, different times with my kids and and wife and stuff, but um, now it's just back to the grind kind of.
1: (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's important, man. You know, I I would only be like super encouraging to people because like, you know, man, like you only have one of these bodies and it's like, we have to take care of them if we want to, you know, I, 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 you know, I don't drink, I don't smoke, I don't do drugs. I haven't since I've been an adult. I don't eat fast food. I don't do anything, man. I just like basically train, walk in the woods, (laughs) make music, you know, uh, I don't do really much of anything else. And, um, I, when I was young, I saw people that were like my age and they just seemed so, you know, they, they seem pretty banged up, man. And I I knew that I wanted to do music for a really long time. You know, I, I wanted to just really dedicate myself to it. And I knew that if I didn't take care of myself, I wouldn't be able to. Do it, you know. I did. I didn't want to be done by the time I was my age. I I feel like I'm just beginning, you know. Okay, I feel yeah. like this is yeah. the beginning, you know.
0: Yeah, especially not to get, the- not to get <laughs>
1: preachy about taking care of yourself physically. I'm sorry.
0: <laughs> especially like going on the road, like you know, I I've never, uh, you know, I've done a week here and long weekends here, but mm. that's, that's about it. But you know, seeing people who go on the road all the time, you know, it's just. E- I think it's easy to fall into those. Traps that beat the hell out of you, you know, like, I mean, I yeah. I drink beer and stuff like that, but I can't imagine, yeah. like, you know, you just do that grind over and over every night and every and, day you know, I, I I would weigh like 400 pounds. And yeah, not <laughs> only know, that, like,
1: work, yeah, man, and if you're working at a certain level, like, it's just all of that and like all of it that you can like all the food that you can eat and then all the food you can eat again. And then all the food you can eat again, like all the food in the world and then like all the alcohol in the world and all right, the whatever right. in the world, all the, all the chocolate bars in the world. Mm-hmm. It's like every single day, you yeah. know? And if you're not like careful entering into that, you know, excess cave, it can be super easy to do, man. There's yeah, nothing yeah. else to
2: do,
0: you yeah, know, yeah. Um, you
1: got to take care of yourself anyway. Yeah yeah
0: that's all i had i mean i had a long list of things and i think we kind of hit them all um awesome i want to thank you for taking the time uh and uh and agreeing to doing this i mean we don't know each other um i i stalk you on you know instagram and look at your nature
1: photos but <laughs> yeah let's stay <laughs> uh, in touch yeah it's nice man it's been really nice talking with you yeah for sure thank it was, you for having it you. was great talking to you
0: hey thanks uh darren again for uh being a great guest. And give me a lot of his time. Um, <laughs> I trimmed that thing down. We got talking for a while. Hope you enjoyed it. Uh, what you're hearing in the background here is Granulina, a track called Between Dolazan and Aletheia on the uh, Gateway to Dignity CD on Family Vineyard. Uh, what you heard before the interview was. Breeze Glace doing Host of Latecomers. It was an excerpt. Uh, all the things kind of meld together. That's from their LP, When Skin Graft. and Vanitas* on SkinGraft. And the first thing we heard in the show was Darren Gray and Lauren Connors doing uh, part six of their LP, The Lost Mariner, on Family Vineyard as well. Oh, yeah. So we're going to listen to Granulina and then Dazzling Kilman and then a few other things. I'll come back, but enjoy this. hearing in the background is Iko Ishibashi and Darren Gray. It's a release that came out a couple of years ago, a few years ago, on Black Truffle called Achita. Akita, maybe? Listen to an excerpt from Side A. Uh, before that, you heard You Fantastic, the track called Friendless. That's from their Homesickness CD on Skin Graft before that dazzling Kilman agitator from face of collapse LP on skingraft that's a reissue that I got uh, came it was a like a three-sided release the the second LP is uh, actually cut at 45 and the B side of it is a cool etching like a laser etching I guess. you know it's like a photo it's not just cut really cool. and before that granulina long track, between Dolazan and Aletheia. That's from the Gateway to Dignity CD on Family Vineyard. That's got to do it for today's episode. Uh, again, I want to thank Darren for uh, giving me all his time and uh, all the great music to play. I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, I encourage you to check out All Things Darren Gray. Um, I Man, it was a long interview and it's a long episode, so I could only get to so many things, but he's got uh, recent things with pac Lao, Lau, uh, Tyler Damon. It's cool stuff with uh, Kikam... <laughs> Kikamarachi? Uh It's a release with... Uh, it's a group with uh, Chris Corsano. Uh, he's done stuff with his buddy Jeff Tweedy. Uh, he was in Loose Furs with Tweedy and uh, O'Rourke. Uh, the Hoffman Estates with uh, Lauren Connors and Alan Licht just tons of stuff so uh, I encourage you to check out uh, a bunch of stuff there's a, a lot of things in the show notes a uh, handful of video links that I put up there that I really dig of a uh, solo and collaborative work and Dazzling Kilman Breeze Glace live stuff really cool so definitely check it out and um, share the episode with some friends and I'll try to uh, get back onto a regular schedule I am going to do some uh, music only releases coming up I have a bunch of stuff that I want to play, uh, and then I have a few interviews planned as well. So uh, keep your eye out, and uh, I hope you're uh, doing well and enjoy the summer. Kickoff of the summer is today. Have a great one! All right, listen. Uh, listen to the rest of this track from Ikoi Ishibashi and Darren Gray. This is my teeth and the attention. Go check out myteethandattention.com and we'll see you next time around, all right? Take care, bye.